Hang in there, it is. Smiley Kaufman for 61. Wow. I'm Smiley Kaufman, and this is The Smiley Show. What's up, y'all? This conversation is for all my football fans out there, especially my LSU Tigers. My guest was a 6'7", 330-pound people mover on the gridiron. He was named first-team SEC twice, won a national championship, made four Pro Bowls, won a Super Bowl, was named Walter Payton Man of the Year, and now he's retired and living the dream, playing a bunch of golf in L.A. Let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Andrew Whitworth. All right, Big Wit, thanks for coming and joining the Smiley Show. And and with the first time you and I met, it was actually at your home in North Louisiana. Uh, you hosted the LSU golf team, and it was a great evening. I had a great dinner, and probably, probably, I think it was about four or five years later, then you come stumbling onto the range at Riviera, and the PGA Tour media team had us uh, kind of do a little deal where I helped you with your golf swing and uh, hung out a little bit. But I'm curious. Were you able to put two and two together that I was at that dinner at your house uh, in North Louisiana? Were you like, okay, I've been, have I met this guy before? I, once I kind of, we sat there and talked for a minute, I did. I was like, you know what? I was curious because I thought to myself, all right, the timing should be about right that you came that night. And uh, that was a lot of fun. That was a cool opportunity through uh, Squire Creek that kind of reached out and I wanted to know if I'd host some guys. And I was like, man, the LSU Tigers, of course. So uh, that was really fun having a dinner at the house with the fam and then uh, having that opportunity with you at Riv. I think that was one of my first times ever go to Riviera. So that was a pretty special deal to, uh, just to be there in itself. Was that your first pro-am to ever play in? And was and it would have been it at was. Riviera. So you're probably nervous that day. <laughs> that that uh, I always tell people, you know, I don't if if you don't know, I mean, I'm a six, seven, 330 pound guy. That little tee box at the top at Riv on one is not very large in the tournament. I mean, there's there's you know, they got all the setup or the sponsorship stuff. It's a little tiny area. I actually got to the point of worried less about hitting my shot and more about falling off the top of that little <laughs> setup up there because I was like, man, I'm so shaky and nervous and people are screaming, you know, there's and they announce you on the box and oh uh, I had some jitters. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I had some jitters. What was your, what was your handicap then? And what is it now? It's probably somewhere in that seven to eight index range at that time. And now okay. I'm probably probably somewhere in the three to four index range at this point. Look so. at you. You retire from the NFL. Now that handicap is just soaring down. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, and you know, this way, you know, as anybody, I mean, in, in the game of golf, you guys competed at the highest level, you know, it's, it's a roller coaster, right? So, you know, sometimes it goes down, sometimes it goes up. Uh, I, you know, it's always interesting every morning to get out, take a couple swings and figure out uh, who I'm going to be that day. Oh God. I, that is very relatable. And And you actually said, you mentioned that you're a big guy. Everybody knows you're a big guy. When you, when, when I, when I see you in person, it's just like, God, just, I don't know many guys that are this big. I want to know how difficult it is being a big guy in this world. Like, would you rather sleep in a twin bed for a month or fly commercial across the country in a middle seat? Oh, oh, twin bed. No question. I'll sleep on the floor, Smiley, for, for not flying way in the middle seat. Uh, I actually, during our season this year, you know, I worked for Amazon, uh, NFL on Prime for Thursday Night Football. And, you know, you're bouncing around city to city doing that. And I, I had a trip. Uh, I wanted to go play in uh, Larry Fitzgerald's foundation event in Nashville. So I had to take a Southwest flight and kind of jumped on it last second and uh, didn't really have a lot of seat options. And I don't know if the experience was worse for me or the two people that had to sit in the uh, three little three person row, but uh, it was fun. It was a good adventure. Luckily it was a short flight. 
uh, did you get the the uh, highly coveted exit row seat with the uh, extra leg room? I did not. It was uh, somewhat of a formation of my head just resting on the side of the plane and my shoulder, too. And oh, you're uh, a I had nowhere guy. else to you're go. You're a window it guy. Was, it was interesting. I think that was all that was left for me at that point. I would have taken you for an aisle guy a thousand percent. <laughs> I definitely wish I had one. I'll tell you that much. Well, you talked about the media stuff. I, I, we'll get into all the NFL stuff here in a little bit. But since you mentioned it, I kind of want to get into the media stuff. You and I both are in that world now. What what has that experience been like for you getting started in that? Any any surprises or any whoopsie moments you've had on air thus far? You know, nothing too bad. I mean, obviously, there's, uh, you know, the the kind of the nerves, I, what I really enjoy in, in, you know, obviously in the golf world covering it, you guys are always at the venue, but you don't always get to do that. And then, you know, in the NFL, a lot of it's studio shows and those kind of things. So for us to get to go on site, be in the stadiums, I mean, honestly, it's almost easier for me because just the energy so good. Like I'm used mm-hmm. to kind of being in that vibe and having that energy up inside of a stadium. Uh, so I've really enjoyed it. I mean, I can't really think of anything that I'd say, oh man, this is a bad moment, but uh, a lot of just uh, new things to learn that's for sure i mean everything from what they're saying in my ear and having no idea what any of that lingo means oh my i think gosh. the first time they told me to cut i like the next the, after the show i asked our producer like did you not like what he was saying what i was saying and he's like no he's like i'm just telling you that like we're running out of time so you have to like cut and i was like oh man in my mind i thought you meant like shut up this isn't good you know what i mean and so that's just how i took it right he's like hey you gotta cut like and so oh, I gosh. think you learn some of that stuff and, and go through that experience. And I think it's a lot of fun, though, man. I love covering the game, and it's something that's changed my life. So getting a chance to talk about the way it's changing other guys has been a lot of fun for me. How do you manage as a former player being critical of guys? Because, like, I know you probably didn't like to be criticized when you were playing. So how do you kind of manage that with guys you may have played against or with? Yeah, I think as an analyst, I mean, it's your job to kind of, you know, somewhat talk about what's going on in the game, what you see coming up throughout the game, and then also dissect some of the play that you've been watching. And, you know, what are fans at home sitting there thinking? And can you kind of explain to them what's going on or maybe why something's happening? And so to me, I think when I'm sitting up there, I've always looked at it like people use the word critical or they use the word of like, can you be hard on guys? And I think of it like if I have a value in my mind and my heart of what I think the game of football should look like and what I think is going to lead to guys having more success. If I'm just conveying that in a way where I'm talking about a game I love and that I think this is the way you got to play it if you want to be good at it, I don't really see it as me being critical as much as me probably saying something that that person themselves, when they watch the tape on Monday, are going to say, I need to do this better. And then that's kind of how I look at it. It's, I love these guys. I think these guys are doing something that's one of the hardest things in the world to do. I think it's insane. They're, they're uh, superheroes in my mind as well, not just little kids that look up to them playing this game. So uh, I'm just looking at it from that perspective of what it's going to take to win and what it's going to take to be successful. And I don't really see it as being necessarily critical as much as maybe what it's going to take. I'm sure when you came into the league, I'm sure you had mentors that helped you out as well. Who, who was that for you? You know, I think there was a lot of guys. I mean, I look at my career early in my career. Carson Palmer was my quarterback. He was our, without a doubt, captain of our team and, and a guy who's a tremendous leader. Uh, you know, TJ Husmanzada, Levi Jones, Willie Anderson. Uh, I, I go the list as long and when I got to Cincinnati. And obviously Marvin Lewis was somebody that was like a father figure, a uh, great man. And so I think there's a lot of guys there early in my career that uh, poured a lot into me. And then even at LSU, I mean, I had some great ones. You know, I, I played under Nick Saban there, uh, who's a tremendous 
tremendous leader and, and a lot of great coaches now that are head coaches all over the place. So uh, I, I've been not, you know, I haven't been short on that. I've had a lot of people to look up to. And a lot of things that I always say to guys, it's like, don't, don't idolize one guy or try to be like one person that's had influence on you, but find what it is that makes those people special and take a little piece of that and see if you can make it part of who you are and if it fits into what you're, you're aspiring to be. And so I think I've had some great ones to just pull a couple little pieces from throughout my career and, and say, uh, you know what, I, I want to aspire to be the leader that a guy like Carson Palmer is or or be diligent about my work like a Willie Anderson, one of the greatest right tackles of all time, and, and T.J. Husmanzada, just how much he broke down himself every play, every technique. There's just a lot of things that I learned throughout my career from different guys. When I was at your house uh, up in North Louisiana, I remember you talking about how much time you put into learning people's techniques that you went up against. You use a way to describe it like it was like a defense thing. I don't there was like a word that you use. Is that uh, ringing any bells of like you studied a certain thing of like to learn their patterns? Yeah, I loved habitual patterns. And so habitual I, I, patterns. I was, that was the that was the it. buzzword. That's <laughs> it, it the habits. <laughs> so, you know, I think at the end of the day, like we all move a certain way we move. I mean, golf is one of the greatest examples, right? I mean, you can go a million different, you know, clinics and all these things, but the truth is you look at the best golfers in the world. Uh, sure, there's certain parts of the swing that are similar at impact in different places, but the rest of it, man, it's it's unique to who they are and how they swing it. And so I look at football the same way, and not just as when I teach linemen or I'm learning myself. But when I'm facing people and when I would face defensive ends or different rushers, um, I would look for how their body moves and try to study that pattern and understand a little bit of like, you know, why their hand goes up when they spin or why their hips shift a certain way when they're going to try and put some kind of in and out crossover type move or how straight line their body gets when they're going to bull rush. And, and I would try to put it in my mind and create it as muscle memory to where the second I saw it in a rush, I knew it was coming before it, before it actually hit me. And a lot of times I would tell people that sometimes I would almost see rushes coming before they ever even got out of their stance and for good and bad. I mean, it was like, I would think that that's what's coming. And I'm like, crap, why didn't I trust it? And then over my career, I learned more and more to trust some of those feelings and some of those intuition. And, uh, but for me, yeah, those habitual patterns, man, learning how guys move, I thought was one of the best things I could do. Not, not studying whether they're successful, but studying how they're successful and what it is that actually gets guys in a rush was always something that was so interesting to me. It was fascinating to you listen or listen to you talk about that way back in the day. And it's, and it's more interesting even now, um, but when you were coming up in the league, I, I imagine everybody has their welcome to the NFL moment. What was yours? Oh man. And, and playing left tackle in the NFL, uh, I think you have a lot of, you know, uh, coming to Jesus moments, as I say, <laughs> but, uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I think there's plenty of them I could list, but I think one of them for me is definitely, uh, you know, in the RCA dome, the old RCA dome in Indianapolis on the old school turf. Uh, playing Dwight Freeney on Monday Night oh, Football no. my rookie year. I mean, he he absolutely annihilated me. I was not ready uh, for that matchup by any means. But uh, it was one of those things where you just knew it was going to be a, an interesting night because we got into pregame our, you know, Right tackle Willie Anderson, who hopefully is going to get in the Hall of Fame here soon. A tremendous player, got an injury in pregame. So we had to move a guy over to right tackle. So the plan going into the game was like protect their young rookie, myself. And then it became, oh crap, now both our tackles have no experience. 
So it was going to be kind of, we had to like choose what plays depending on what we're doing, who's getting the help. Uh, so going into that game, I was a little concerned and I'm like, man, all right, I don't know if I'm ready to block this guy, but I'm going to give it my best. And then sure enough, Peyton Manning's on the other side. And I think they jumped up 21 to nothing on us. And needless to say, it got real ugly real fast when it turned into a passing game. Uh, you know, I, I try to forget that game, but I've seen it a couple of times on film and it's just as cringeworthy uh, as it is now. He had you on skates, huh? Oh, man. Uh, it was like chasing a little kid. He had a couple spins. I'm not sure, uh, you know, if if I figured out where he was yet. I mean, it was like he disappeared on me a couple times. Man, I can't even imagine trying to block that man. Uh, but you as you continued on into your career, you you were able to figure it out and you became a unreal player. But I'm a big believer in hard work. Um in golf, we kind of have to perfect everything that we do and, and we put a ton of time into what we do. And I always feel like you, what you get out of it is what you put into it. And I've heard a story and right now you're in Colorado. So I've, I'm curious on this story. I've heard about you. Well, you used to basically run up the mountains and in, in very difficult conditions in Colorado to breathe. And you're scaling a mountain, trying to train for the year. Is that something that you did every single year? That's true. I, uh, yeah, I'm actually here. I was just telling you earlier, I'm at Frost Creek uh, country club here in Eagle, Colorado. And I've, uh, I started probably in, I would say 2013, 2012, somewhere in there. I started coming up here, um, with some close friends and, and ended up joining this club and then just fell in love with Colorado and being here in the altitude. I spent like two weeks before training camp that year and worked out here. And I, when I went to camp, I was like, man, I feel amazing. So, I brought my wife and the kids out here the next winter and we loved it. And we were like, you know what, let's do it. And so we bought a house and I spent probably the last 10 years of my career. Uh, as soon as we'd end OTAs in June, like early June, I would spend six weeks here uh, backpacking, like loading up backpacks with weights and carrying dumbbells, doing a lot of weighted carries and stuff like that. And hiking a lot with the family and, and going on some of my own morning hikes, carrying weights. And, and I loved it, man. I, I, I would go to training camp and feel so freaking good, uh, that I got obsessed with it. So I literally would come here, you know, play 42 holes of golf every day, uh, hike the mountains and just stay up on my feet moving, man. I watching TV, not sitting down, uh, keeping my big butt moving. And, and, uh, you know what? I, I think it's one of those things I credit with honestly, the longevity of my career, because it, it really, to me, got me moving and got me feeling really good. And it was a different way of training, not sitting in a weight room all the time, finding different ways to get out and move the body. Yeah. It changes your mindset almost. And I know you trained kind of towards the later part of your career, doing a lot of golf mobility exercises to try to uh, lengthen your career was when did you kind of start getting into that sort form of exercise? Yeah, I think, you know, early in my NFL career, I started picked up golf, uh, honestly, just to have something to do in the off seasons. And, and, uh, you know, I lived in Louisiana in the off seasons. I just want to get out and sweat and swing the golf there and you can sweat there in the off season. That's for sure. Walking to the mailbox, you can sweat there. So (laughs) I, uh, you know, I loved getting out and just moving and I I found it as like a good way for me to like train in the mornings and work out and then go to the range and just hit balls all day. And I'd listen to music and just kind of vibe out on the range. It was like my favorite thing to do. And like, people would always be like, dude, do you ever play golf with people? Like you just sit out here on the range with music and hang out. And I loved it. Like I was obsessed with it. So everywhere I went, that's what I did. I mean, Cincinnati. And then when I moved to LA and, and uh, I think when I moved to LA, I really got into a little more of getting some of the mobility work and, and learning some of that, you know, the truly kind of getting in good, better golf positions. And I think for me, it's, it, I've always credited golf with, with something that changed me athletically, because when I came into the NFL, even talking about that Dwight Green, Dwight Freeney game, 
I was somebody who was extremely strong, really big, um, but I was stiff as can be and could not move very well. And, and I didn't have good lateral agility and stuff, but I just had athleticism naturally and powerful and could move people. But throughout my career, for people that understand, you know, the biomechanics of it, I played left tackle. So you're always on the right side of your body. So your your right knee, right ankle, right elbow, right wrist, right shoulder, where you all your injuries are. If you look at any offensive lineman, whatever side they play, their inside part of their body is where all their injuries are. And so I played 16 years of left tackle stress on the right side of my body well everybody knows in the game of golf i played golf right-handed you got to move to your left side so i spent my entire off season you know moving pressure to my left side learning how to rotate the other direction so i always said that it kind of like unwound everything that i did in football and would actually move all my weight and everything i did to the other side and made me feel much better mobility wise just body wise i started feeling a lot better being able to use my left side a lot more and if you actually watch a lot of plays at the end of my career even if you go to the dallas cowboys playoff game in uh, 18 i guess we met run and we're running the inside zone a lot like i'm literally using what you would call golf mechanics like i would put two feet in the ground and just twit like literally throw defensive ends out into the outer space so the ball could go underneath me and it literally looks like a big driver swing like you're doing a long drive competition and that's that's literally where i learned how to do that movement is just learning how to rotate power uh i learned it from that well for all the people that are listening and they're wondering how they can use the ground better in their golf swing all you got to do is play left tackle in the nfl that's one way to learn how to do the ground baby (laughs) that's it you know what i this took a little bit of research i i figured out that you did catch a touchdown uh, in one of your 11 years that you played in Cincinnati, I want to know what the play call was and did y'all practice it ahead of time? And how nervous were you knowing you're about to like, this is your moment. Well, you know, there's a couple of good parts of that. You know, we go down, it's in Pittsburgh. Uh, it's on my birthday, actually, 12-12. And that, that game week that, you know, OC came to me, he's like, hey, we're going to get you a touchdown on your birthday. I'm like, oh, all right, you're right. Present. Love it. Oh, yeah. So, like, I'm like, yeah, right. That's not going to happen. You're not going to call it when we get down there. So, opening drive of the game, we go down against Pittsburgh, get down to the two-yard line, three-yard line, somewhere there, and they call it 42 ISO Y leak. And so, I, uh, I, you know, I go out, get on Lamar Woodley, kind of throw him off the side. I almost lose my foot. If anybody's ever played in Pittsburgh, they know it's like this sandy. It's the worst turf. The grass is horrible that late in the year. And so, literally, I almost fall down, turning around to look for the ball, which would have been horrible. And Carson just lobs me up a softball. It was great. Catch it, spike it. Great moment. The best part is because I really didn't think it would happen. I never told my wife and she was pregnant with our two twins. And I think she peed on the floor and about passed out because she had no idea like what is going. She's sitting at home getting ready for my birthday for me to get home that night. And she's like, holy crap. It, you know, wit just freaking scored a touchdown. Uh, so I literally got an earful from her when I got on the phone after like, you, I know you knew that play was in and you didn't tell me, <laughs> but it was great. The other part of that smiley, and I don't know, I've, I've asked some guys to look this up. We got to get in the NFL research team. I want to know that's that is the, I want to know if that's the only game an offensive lineman has scored the only offensive touchdown. There was no offensive touchdowns no in that way. game. Except for my touchdown. We uh we threw two pick sixes, I think, and then kicked a field goal, something like that. I think it was like 14 10, somewhere in there. Of but course, it no... ended up as 14 10. What an odd yeah. way for it to end up. Yeah. 
So no, no offensive touchdowns in the game other than the big guy. So I, you know, I got to find out is an NFL history. Sometimes that happens. Wow. That is, that is incredible. I would be upset too. If you didn't tell me that you're going to be catching a touchdown that day, if I was your wife, uh, man, these are a couple of quick hitter questions about the NFL that I'm curious, kind of when you look back on your career and maybe you kind of know the answer to this one, we may have just talked about it. Who's the best player you ever went up against? Yeah, I think early in my career, Dwight was definitely up there. I mean, John Abraham was a really special rusher. You know, he had some injury stuff and bounced around a little bit there at the end when I was kind of early in my career, but he was really special. Um, you know, DeMarcus Ware, obviously, is a guy who's a close friend and, and an unbelievable player. I think I kind of put guys in eras. And so in that era, you know, it was kind of those guys, Julius Peppers, obviously, you know, rare, rare guy. And then I think you move to like the next era of guys is somewhere in that Von Miller you know, Khalil Mack, um, you know, some of those type guys that you, you really were pretty rare dudes. I mean, uh, they, Alden Smith was, you know, unfortunately uh, had, you know, his career got sidetracked, but he was a really special guy as a young player as well. And, you know, I think that uh, then I moved into, you know, now, I mean, guys like Vaughn's still really good. Khalil's had some up and down years, but Nick Bosa and Joey Bosa and, you know, Miles Garrett, you know, you got some really special ones in the league now that, uh, you know, are really getting it done. And so I, I think for me, I still love kind of the old school era only because in that, in that era, the pass plays were so limited and teams were so like, they didn't want to expose their linemen too much. So, you know, you, you might have play action a lot, or you'd run the ball a lot and very few ops to truly get third down pass plays to get after it. So they, their win percentage had to be so much higher. Uh, I feel like these guys nowadays are really good and they're really athletic and really special, but they get a lot more opportunities probably um, than guys did maybe, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago. Which, which city did you hate to play in? Oh man. Um, I mean, Cleveland was kind of, you know, <laughs> here's the thing. I mean, Cleveland, you know, there's just not much there. I mean, that's just the thing. And so you're not real excited about the flight up to Cleveland. You know, I played in Cincinnati. We weren't staying anywhere nice anyway. So, you know, we were hanging out at the Radisson or something, you know, so it, it was, uh, it was always uh, kind of a blah trip. Let's just put it that way. But now Pittsburgh, like Pittsburgh was awesome. I love in our division. I really Pittsburgh and Baltimore were so fun to me. Baltimore had the band. And, you know, that was the Ray Lewis years. That was a blast. And then obviously Pittsburgh was so special on defense. And uh, I still think of, of sticks and and uh, just all the good music Pittsburgh plays. And, man, just some cool moments being on that field in the fourth quarter. You know, those, those freaking yellow towels everywhere. Uh, a lot of big games, big moments throughout my career right there in that stadium. Who was the best player you ever played with? Oh man, played with. Uh, I mean, I you know I'd have to say Aaron Donald. I think Aaron Donald. I was, one of the I was best guessing players. that was going to be the answer. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how you could ever put anybody above that dude. He's he's one of the most special guys I've ever been around. From just his work ethic, you know, everything you want out of somebody, he fits the top of the mold. And and uh, he's a rare, rare, rare guy. I mean, I, I don't think people can really value how hard it is to be as successful as he is as a three tech. Uh, constantly getting doubled and tripled and and being the center of attention for every single team, yet he continues to win and dominate. Uh, it's pretty rare. Well, you ended up at the Rams for your last five seasons winning a Super Bowl, but the quarterback that you had, Matthew Stafford, would he have ever been the quarterback at the Rams if it weren't for your all's trip down to Cabo? You know, that's a good question. I don't know. I, you know, it's one of those things that uh, it's just crazy how things work out. I mean, you know, 
the Rams and Sean and, and, you know, and Jared Goff were kind of at separate ends and they didn't really know how that relationship would go forward. And, and then randomly, you know, they get a chance to spend some time and Matthew's been given, you know, the grace by the lions to look for a new place. And I think it ended up now, you really look back at it. It's, it's a wild moment, but I think it's worked out really good for everybody. I mean, you look at Jared Goff and the lions and, and what a finish they had last year and, and how he's been playing, man. I mean, what a tremendous young man. And just uh, Jared's one of those guys I will be a massive fan of forever because of just the human being and uh, the character he has, man, he's a special dude. And then for Stafford, I mean, he's a legend and, and always been one of those guys, man, that loves to shoot his shot and have a lot of fun. And so uh, he's, he's, he's a really cool dude. I mean, we're, we're in that similar stage in life with four kids and, and all of them bunched up. So we get to spend a lot of dad time together, as I call it, uh, just getting out on the golf course and having a little checkout time. But you know, it, it's really special. I don't know if we win a Super Bowl. I don't know, you know, really how my career ends, you know, if, if that doesn't happen, just because, uh, you know, that injection of Matthew Stafford made a huge difference for our team. And and it's not that Jared wouldn't have got it done. I think Jared just probably was a few years behind uh, because you look at the age of these quarterbacks. It's just the truth. You have these rare, rare guys that exist right now in Mahomes, some of these guys and they have some success, but that's just not the norm. Being your first three to six years in the league, it's a struggle, man. And you're trying to grind it out every year as a quarterback. That's the hardest position in the planet, man. So uh, I'm, I'm happy for where J things have ended up for Jared and also obviously for, for Stafford and us as the Rams being a Super Bowl champs is something I'll never forget. The Lions are kind of like the people's teams now. Like, who would have ever they thought are, that the man. Lions? Everybody I run into, it's it's like, man, I'm really looking for the Lions this year. It, it almost is making me nervous because I want them to be really good, but I don't like it when everybody's already on the bandwagon because it's just it's the NFL. It never works out how you think it's going to. They're fun to watch. The team that's easy to root for. I love the culture when you watch the uh, that HBO doc of that whole team. It's 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 hard to not root for that uh, that organization and. So was it basic? Did it feel like destiny in the Super Bowl to end up playing against the Bengals, the team that you played 11 years for and eventually getting the getting the win? Did, did it just kind of feel like this is the way it has to end for me? Yeah. You know, when when you enter that situation, I, I always say people think of the game. And I, I really thought of it actually two weeks before in the NFC and AFC championship when they won, they made the kick to win. We're going out for pregame warmups against the Niners, who we haven't beaten in like seven tries. I think they've beaten us like six or seven times in a row. And I remember watching the kick go through. And as I ran out, I was late, kind of like a little bit late getting into pregame warmups. I'm running out out there on the field, and I was just like, "We're winning the game." And I was like, in my mind, I just knew it. Like, I don't care what happens in this game, we're winning because it's destiny for me to go play the. Like, how would the Bengals go to the Super Bowl and me not go there to play them? Like, I just that would be. There's no way that's not happening. So there was definitely some moments on Niners games. I'm like, what the heck's going on? Why are we behind? Uh, but at the end of it, to win it and have that chance to go play them, you know, I tell people this, those two weeks were emotional, man. To, to spend 11 years and invest what we did in that community. Um, and then the first time you really get a chance to go against them in a big competition like that, um, is in the Super Bowl where you're so proud of them for being there because you know you had a hand in some of the people that were there and Zach Taylor obviously was with us in LA. Um, I was a part of when he got hired, just kind of helping him with taking over that job and what he needed to look forward to and, and think about. And so you you kind of felt invested in both places. And to play in that game, it was very surreal um, because it was like, man, I had said four weeks ago before the playoffs started, this was it. No matter how it goes, we lose the first game, whatever happens. 
to be sitting there in the Super Bowl, knowing you had chosen this is the way to go out, man, I just felt like it was an ultimate compliment from God or the NFL gods or whatever you want to say that, you know what, we're going to let you go out this way, man. Like, you know, and so it was really special. What is it like now seeing Cincinnati as a regular Super Bowl contender, considering from when you came into the league till now, we got our boy Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, LSU Tigers in there that seem to be the, one of the best pairing in the NFL. It's got to it's got to be pretty cool for you to see the Bengals being considered one of the top teams in the NFL year in, year out now. It's really special. I mean, and, and again, for, for, you know, Joe and how special he is and Jamar as well. I got a chance to be around Jamar this offseason a little bit. And um, you know what? It, it's so cool because for 11 years, it's like, you know, you made a lot of playoff appearances. We won some, we won three division championships. We never found a way to win that playoff game. And it was something that you felt like just haunted over the team, even as good as we were. And, and I don't think people really realize in that small market, how many games we really you know, we're able to win in that window. And it, it was a lot. We just didn't find a way to win in the postseason. And it labels you. It, 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 you know, it's much like being a golfer, never finding a way to win a tournament or win the major, you know, and it's like, man, you played a lot of great golf. You won a lot of money on tour, but you never won the thing. So people just are like, try to make it like it's a negative. Right. And we felt great about our time there. We just never found a way to win a playoff game. And so now to see, Joe and those guys have the success they're having, man. I couldn't be more happy for them. My kids are rocking the unis uh, all, every week. They're watching the games. Uh, you know, they have a blast at some of their, you know, big fans of, I think this year with Amazon, we actually have the Ravens Bengals game in Baltimore. So uh, the boys are already politicking me for missing school that week. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens though. I love it. And for a while, you were kind of back and forth. Uh, I remember just watching the bottom line ticker on on SportsCenter where you were kind of debating coming back or playing. And when did you know when to hang it up? You know, I knew I'd said when the playoffs happened that I was I would retire. And then you win the Super Bowl and I kind of told my kids that was it. And then you get a month away and you're like, all right, I still feel pretty good. I just won a Super Bowl. Um, but you know, I really credit Sean McVay, who's one of my closest friends in life now. And, and, uh, you know, he, he kind of helped me put in perspective and he was just like, man, even I, as your head coach, like, I think you've accomplished everything you can accomplish. And, and I would just feel bad trying to bring you back here and you having some kind of significant injury at 41 years old. Uh, that's a lot harder to come back from, you know, at that age. And so, he helped me put it in perspective a little bit. And, and, uh, I honored the commitment that I had, you know, January, January 1st, I told my wife that we were going to retire after these playoffs and, uh, we did it. And so obviously there was a lot of uh, chatter last season, you know, of me coming back and making a return and having to tell people no, and <laughs> all of that. My wife getting nervous again, uh, that I might do it, but you know, I, I think the reality is I think it'll be a lot less of that now. And, uh, that was fun. It was entertaining. It was nice to be wanted and teams and fans to want you. But uh, at the end of the day, I, I feel like I've accomplished what I'm going to accomplish on the football field. Uh, now it's just looking forward to talking about the game. Yeah, I, I imagine what you probably miss the most is competing in that competition that that drives so many athletes. But from comparing the football field versus the golf course, two different arenas, one you know, we typically have a very quiet, everything's maybe loud in your head, but the football field is super loud. And, you know, you're having to really focus and you're working on, on, you know, silent counts, this and that. So I'm curious, a third and eight Seattle, when you're trying to go down and win the game and, and you have to get a first down versus when you're on the golf course and you've got 240 yards, a shot into a par five, and you know, you can't hit it in the water on 18. What is the difference for you as far as like your ability to 
to kind of quiet your mind in a loud arena versus kind of a soft arena like the golf course can be? Well, I think, you know, for me, it's funny you say that. I always laugh when I play golf with guys and somebody makes them, you know, moves or makes a noise. I'm always like, listen, I'm used to 80,000 people telling me about my mom and my kids and my wife and where they can go uh, in some choice words. You're not going to bother me, okay? Just go ahead and move around a little bit. But on the golf course, you know, here's the thing. I think that uh, obviously being my size, swinging the golf club is not really uh, maybe what I was meant to do biomechanically. So uh, (laughs) it's a lot more stress when I step over a shot of where it's going, no doubt about it. But the one thing I always said in my career that I loved is like, you look at the game of golf, especially for an offensive lineman. um, And I think that's why there's a lot of linemen that play, you know, in our, when we go out and play, it's like, Hey, in my mind, I always tried to say, look, par 72 and, and the ultimate goal in golf is how many good swings, how many good swing thoughts, times you step over the ball, you can hit it the way you want to hit it and, you know, minimize the mistakes and have as good, as good, it makes whatever it is, a club, a putter, whatever the swings you're proud of, you feel good about. Well, when I played in a football game, you're playing 70, 80 plays. And it was as an offensive lineman, how technically efficient, how, how, how well can I do my job for those 70, 80 plays and, well, and like staying golf. in the mind frame? Yeah. And so there's, and there's moments in football where like, I know Willie Anderson used to always teach us in the run game, you can be super aggressive and violent and you can tee off and, and you, you can pick your times. But in the past game, it's about balance and poise and staying calm in the moment. And, and so when it's third and eight in Seattle and there's noise everywhere and you're on the silent count and you're trying to look at the guy you're blocking and the football to your right, uh, you got to get off in an efficient manner with no hesitation, no jerkiness, just smooth and under control, and then have balance and an idea of how to block the guy in the moment and have no idea where the ball is or how long it's going to take to get out. And so that takes a lot of poise and composure. And so I always related that, man, really golf helped me learn a lot of that, how to just maintain my poise and composure and hit shots that I wanted to hit. Um, So there's a lot of similar experiences, not necessarily the action that you're doing, but the experience of the mindset and, and really learning to control your emotions. You know, if it's a 240 yard shot on a par five, maybe I can be a little amped up and take a little more club and get after it. Right. And, and hope that that results to me having no hesitation hitting a better shot but then when it's that four footer you know downhill that's got a little slide in it you know you're gonna need some poise like you're gonna need to be able to calm down and just hit the shot you want to hit so there's there's a lot of those things that I think are very similar you mentioned 70 to 80 plays and I said that's very similar to golf actually I'm gonna take that back I would rather it be 60 or 70 plays as it relates to golf versus 70 or 80 yes you would (laughs) yes you would in my world it's it's 70 to 80 no I hear you uh I'm actually curious as well as being a left tackle I didn't know so you're watching the ball and watching the defensive end so I didn't know that you're you're just watching the ball to wait till that moves but you also have to keep it so you're basically got eyes going this way Yeah, a lot of guys learn how to periff a little bit. Some guys just look at the football and then turn their head as they kick. And so when you're on the road uh, with the noise and everything else, man, as a tackle, it's it's a challenge. It's it's uh, you know what those guys some of those guys are really good at timing the snap and getting off. And so a lot of the times it's not really just your ability to block them. Uh, sometimes they just flat out torch you off the snap. And so you have to lose all technique and find ways to survive. And then other times, you know, there's just guys who struggle a little bit in silent and, and silent atmospheres. And so I think that that's a little tougher. Now, when you play at home, obviously when you got the quarterbacks, 
voice inflection and everything else, you can jump it a little bit and it's an advantage. But if you go look actually, you know, at really good high-end tackles and great edge rushers, um, there's a big discrepancy home and away where their success is at. And so, um, you know, I know a lot of edge rushers that uh, that are really good and on the all-time list that, you know, the majority of almost all their sacks come when they're at home and they're playing with their their crowd noise because they're able to really take use it to their advantage. Man, that's interesting. Um, what uh, this is this is a question I'm gonna start asking any person that uh, have on the show that's not uh, a golfer per se, but this is what they do for fun. And um, as it relates back to their sport, what is the best shot you've hit in a tournament setting on the golf course versus the best play or let's say block for you you've ever made, and which one felt better? Oh man, look. Uh... <laughs> There's nothing better than hitting a great shot in golf. I mean, you know, you get a par five that it's a little reachable, but not, and you hit that shot. Uh, to me, that's that's one of the greatest feelings on the planet. Uh, I've had a couple, just like in member guests, member members, stuff like that, where you've hit a shot in a critical moment that's uh, led to you being successful in the tournament. Uh, those those probably stick in my mind more than any football play. That's just the reality. I mean, the touchdown, I, I can't even remember. People bring it up all the time, like you scored a touchdown. I'm like, honestly, I don't remember much about it. But you asked me, the member guest in 2015 at Frost Creek. <laughs> When I hit, you know, a, a shot into a par five and they made a birdie to, to force a playoff and then we go on to win, you know, like like that to me is, uh, you know what, that's the stuff that I remember. So golf is definitely the thing that gets me jacked up the most to do well at it. Man, it sounds like you, uh, and I was going to ask you this, is I wanted to see how much you really love golf. If I told you in your 16-year NFL career that you would have the same 16-year PGA Tour career and you made the same amount of money in both, which one are you picking? Oh, golf. No question. Oh, close. I love it. This guy is no he's, question. He's one of no, us. No. Oh yeah. I'm obsessed. Look, I could play, I can play 42 a day. I, I love it. I love the game. And, uh, I saw you at a uh, Melman's party and, uh, and in, in Los Angeles last weekend, and you were kind of keeping me up to date on your season long match play tournament. Sherwood. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. And yeah. you would have advanced a couple times beating a, uh, being a guy who's a sandbagger, which, uh, according to everyone, they were excited that you got that win. Where are you in this bracket? Are we still alive? We're still alive right now. You know, uh, those, those are my favorite thing. I mean, anytime you get a chance to go beat the sandbaggers, uh, in these tournaments that, you know, the handicap may not be that accurate. Uh, and then the, you know, I'm also playing in the gross one. So it's guys that are way better than me for sure. So I, I like that. Cause I like getting back from the tips of the golf course and playing against guys who are better than you. It's the only way I've ever gotten much better at the game is when I'm playing guys who I'm kind of looking up to what, how good of a golfer they are. Uh, I just feel like it, it as a dramatic impact on my game and, and chasing them a little bit. Um, I have a tendency just being, you know, somebody who didn't really grow up in the game of golf and necessarily learning the pace and, and really how it's done as a kid that I have a tendency to just get out there and start. I mean, I could play, you know, in an hour. I mean, I just, I fly yeah. through a golf course. And so for me getting in that setting with somebody like that, who's taking it that serious, it slows me down and it almost like, I love it. I must take it in more and, and enjoy the competition a little bit more. So we're still alive. We got work to do though. We got two more rounds to get to the finals. Um, so we'll see what happens. What, what are the strengths and weaknesses of your game? I would assume that being a big guy would have to be stuff around the green with touch stuff or just, yeah, short game stuff. Is, it, you know, for me, it's like, 
I didn't play during the season. So I would get really good, be at my best in, you know, late July. And then it's like, put the clubs up and don't play again until March or April uh, when you're feeling good again and your hands don't, uh, you can actually close your fingers and, you know, whatever you've done to your hand or shoulder or arm is, is healed. So it was like, you took this long break. So for me, it's like, I can usually get out, hit irons pretty well, like long irons. I hit well and, and driver and three wood and all that. Obviously I can hit it a long way, but you know, really the short game stuff, learning the game from a hundred yards and in and all the different ways, right. Whether you're in the rough or different things and, and different little shots, you know, not always hitting the same shot that you have. That's the only weapon you have. And um, so for me now really being retired, that's really the stuff that I'm trying to focus on the most is, you know, learning how to be good from a hundred yards and in, not necessarily just in the fairway, but just anywhere, just learning all those different aspects of the game. What is your ball speed when you connect on one? I know, oh, you know, I know, you know, I know, you know, what I it don't, is. you know what? I'm not a big, here's the thing. I'm not, you know, what's wild as much as I love the range. I not spent much time on track mans and stuff. I don't, I don't know why, like, you know, any of those, any of that stuff, well, you know, I just haven't really been into it. I, I like to just hit balls and try and I, I'm a shot shaper. I like to like, I love feel it. like I, I can it. hit all the different shots. Like I almost love a course like Riv because I love to have like, all right, you got to squeeze one, you hit a bad drive. All right. Now you got to hit this draw or this hook kind of through some trees or find a way to kind of shape the ball a little bit. I love that kind of stuff. I mean, that's my favorite part of golf is finding all those little shots that you have them in your bag. And so probably I do too much of that. That might be the problem. Uh, just learning how to straight golf balls would be a, probably a better idea, but uh, I have too much fun learning all the different shots. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it pans out, but I, I can hit it a long way. That's for sure. I'm going to go with 190 ball speed then. We'll just go, we with, go. Okay. We'll just go with 190 ball speed and call it a day. I, I feel like when oh, you I connect, it. it's going to continue to fly in the air, especially in Colorado. But the ball goes oh, way man, far it's there. Fun here. You, you feel real strong in Colorado. That's for sure. All right. Well, last question, man. I, I think probably one of the things I would imagine that you're most proud of in your career, maybe even more so uh, than winning a Super Bowl and getting a ring is uh, winning the Walter Payton Man of the Year. I just think your speech, if you haven't seen it, go watch it on YouTube. It's about 11 minutes long, but so many relatable things and and just how much work you put into the community. And I know how important that is to you to give back. Um, would you say you're more proud of winning that award than even winning a Super Bowl ring? I think what I'm more proud of is being associated with somebody who cares, you know, um, about other people more than just themselves all the time. And I think to me, like, that's what Walter Payton, you know, that award's really about and what Walter Payton stood for. And, and really hopefully what people get from it is, is it's really not about what they've accomplished or what they've given or the, 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 monetary amount. Um, it's about the investment and just caring and and being somebody who walks through a room and actually genuinely gives a crap about how people's day is going and how they can help them. Um, to me, that's something that's really important to me. It's something that my wife and I, Melissa and I really pour into our kids that uh, we're going to be more proud of how they treat people and, and the respect they give people and the love they show people than any grade or any athletic achievement. Uh, we want them to to know that that's the number one thing to us. And the thing that'll make us the most proud of them is, is really what people would say of how they speak to them and how they speak about them and how they carry themselves. And so to me, that's what that, that award embodies. And it's what I'm the most proud of is that uh, hopefully people see that in myself. And um, I think, really it's what gets me going, man. I genuinely just love to see people do well and, and love to see people thriving in life. You know, if it's, 
throughout the different sports guys I've gotten to meet or, or just going to a school and meet a young kid who has a dream. Uh, there's nothing more fun to me than seeing a, an opportunity where somebody gets a chance to chase their dream or, or be who it is they want to be. And so uh, that award to me signified uh, a lot of time and investment wife and I had in different communities we got a chance to play in and, and grow up in. Well, Wed, I know a lot of people look up to you and uh, definitely you're one that I've always looked up to, especially being just the type of man you are and, and then be also being in the, an LSU guy. I think uh, you set the standard extremely high. And uh, it, this has been a really fun conversation. I really think uh, the golf connection with the NFL and uh, getting into some LSU stuff back in the day, this has been really fun. And uh, hey, keep keeping them straight. And why don't you go win that uh, Sherwood season long match play for us, huh? Yeah, I'll send you a picture. We'll update it. If there's a trophy, we'll update to everybody uh, with the trophy pick, man. Come on, we got to. Man, we'll have keep to chasing. That. We'll keep eating straight, my man, and go Tigers, all right? Yeah, go Tigers. Appreciate it, brother. Always great having a Bayou Bengal on the show. That's two now, including my guy, Sam Burns. So y'all go check that episode out now if you're an LSU fan. I am boots on the ground this week at the Travelers Championship. So come back here on Monday for a recap of all the action in Connecticut. Thanks for listening and see you then. The Smiley Show is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.